This is SideQuest Completed, the Hoppiest Game Dead podcast with your hosts Calvin and JC, coming to you every Wednesday with encouragement and advice on making your game a reality. Hello, SideQuesters. This is Calvin with a quick note on the recording quality of today's episode. We were unable to use our usual method and had to find a fallback which wasn't an ideal setup. Please forgive the quality and keep listening. Our correct setup has since been restored. Um, we can talk about Pokemon and how it's influenced those game developers. Does that sound? Yeah. All right. Uh, that's probably like I have a. It's not something I, I've thought of, and even though I'm, like I said, so this is a good contrast because you're clearly a long-standing Pokemon fan. I've just never had any real interest like uh, not bad i just never it's never drawn me to it um so we'll have very different views on that because even though i have never been interested in the series i also cannot deny the clear influence it's had both on games as a whole and even my own thinking because it's just like it's impossible for to, to escape it as part of the zeitgeist so it's yeah a huge influence like regardless a... of your personal connection or uh history with the uh franchise <laughs> Well, that was a lot of sense. Okay. I'm making noises because I'm putting down cups. Yeah, I just totally made the assumption that... Uh, oh, ghost Made the assumption... Thank you, Claire. That uh, you had a like deep familiarity with Pokemon games because that's just so common. I have never yes. played a Pokemon game in my life. Oh, my gosh. I'm not sure if we can be friends anymore. We used to be friends. You know, I was actually afraid to tell you for that reason. Oh, I'm staring at like like one of the only shinies I've gotten that wasn't a special event shiny, and I'm just like, oh, it's a happening. I did play very... Pokemon Go for about a week, but I don't think that counts. Uh, no, it's for a different game too. Yeah. yeah Oops. Like, and 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 without playing ever, I still. I'm pretty familiar with the mechanics of the game and, and many of the Pokemon and a lot of the gyms and, you know, not everything, obviously, but it's amazing how much over two decades you can absorb of a game that keeps being remade every couple of years for 20 years. All right. Because it's, really it's, it's not just like Final Fantasy, where even if you never played them, you will have heard of Final Fantasy it's much more repetitive, right? So, because I do know that, like, in a lot of ways, they're like remakes every time. So, over those years, I'm getting re-exposed to the same game and new new versions through that cultural like zeitgeist, which is probably why no. I'm able to get like a much bigger idea of the game than I otherwise would from a game I don't play. Sounds that could be something we talk about later. Would be Final Fantasy. Yeah. Especially because I already pre-ordered the Final Fantasy VII Remake first chapter. Uh, we don't know how many chapters it's going to be, but I am ready to jump in. That was an interesting contrast to Final Fantasy Remakes and the differences between the games versus History of Pokemon. Yeah. I'm not sure how relevant that would be to indie game dev. Um, remakes can be really, um, really relevant. A lot of indies um, stick to remaking the same kind of game or almost the same game or revisit something they made early in their careers or make something in a game jam and then remake it as a larger game later 
Um, mm-hmm. So I think there's actually a lot of relevancy to indie devs as to, to the idea of, of remakes. Um, Make a very good point. I mean, look at uh, Celeste, which started as a Pico 8 game jam entry, if I remember correctly, and turned into kind of a a popular, may have heard of it. I'm being, I'm understating seriously. It was an amazing breakout hit, Celeste. I, I, yeah, I on think the Switch now. Yeah, I think that it's um, pretty pretty well known. Um, and I, it's not uncommon for games to have started as a as a jam. That's not an uncommon path at all. Totari, same story. Started as a game jam entry, turned into a multi-year project. Mm-hmm. And then there's all the something there as well. There's all the indie devs with that game that they have tried to make over and over again for a decade. You know, where they have yeah. like three different versions they've started over on. I certainly have a couple games like that where every few years I'll I'll try to revisit it, but I'll start it over because uh, my, my tools will have changed or my knowledge will have changed or I can't figure out how to get the old code to run because I never finished this idea. You know, like there's a lot of projects like that where people just keep trying to make that throughout their time. All too familiar, you yeah. know. No, you mentioned you mentioned past podcasts. The one person who's making basically using the same engine to make their own mm-hmm. uh, fancy sci-fi or asymmetric RPGs for the better part of say twenty years now. And which of yeah. the people doing that are you talking about? Because I feel like that's a, a pattern. I feel like I've seen. Oh, really? People, I feel like I've seen a lot of people of that ilk, um, and. All, all the different degrees, of course, but enough that I can't be 100% sure which random person uh, you might be talking about. And I don't yeah, remember we'll... any of their names well, because a lot of times I know them by Twitter names that are not pronounceable. So, <laughs> yeah, helpful. But there's more than one, yeah. I mean, was it like once is coincidence, twice is suspicious, third time is enemy action? Yeah. Uh, but um, more appropriate comparison is like once is like chance, second is a pattern, third time is like something clearly repeatable. And if some, so someone's been able to do something for 20 years and find fulfillment and apparently economic success, just rebuilding off the same engine for years and years, there is definitely some merit to that. I have uh, some. Go ahead. I was going to say, are you potentially talking about uh, Lauren Schmidt? I think it's one of the people we talked about before. Didn't have them in mind, but they could be like bull as well. I know they didn't seem to believe they work with a relatively limited tool set or do a lot of experiments with similar stuff, like feeling around with different code models, simulations, whatnot. I know Dwarf Dwarf Fortress is one example. I think we can probably fit Minecraft into there since it was just, it's not really, it's just a one game. Dwarf Fortress has just evolved enough. Similarly, Minecraft, um, this role playing game I mentioned before, I forget the name of it, but I remember reading about it when I was a teen back in the yeah. days of yore. I, I know the first one you were thinking about now. It was almost definitely um, Spiderweb Software. Yes. With the uh, Black Fortress games and um, Abaddon series. That sounds right, yeah. And so we can compare that to Pokemon, which is basically the same formula for, again, over 20 years now. I mean, looking at the copyright notice on this game, it goes like, what, 96? 30 years now, geez. Oh, yeah. And 
important emphasis thing we can take away from that is all an evolutionary development. The original Pokemon game, only 151 Pokemon, black and white graphics, just grayscale technically. Uh, relatively simple battle engine, uh, a good number of types, but not the same as we have, quite the same as we have now. So that's many exponential uh, iterations. Well, it's only what 150 yeah. in the first iteration, and it's over a thousand. Yeah, 151, yeah. Oh right, because like, uh, Mewtwo would have been the last one, right? I'm gonna guess. Uh, and Mew, they snuck in there because so, you know, so behind that, they once they removed all the debug code. There was room enough in there for a developer to sneak in that permission, Mew. That's fun. Yeah. Um, I, I actually had a legit Mew back in the day. Are there any Go other hack. games that you can think of that have been remade to that degree or anything close to it? There are games who have a remake. Uh, there's games that have spiritual successors re even repeatedly, like Dragon Quest or Final Fantasy. Um, no. But I can't think of a single other instance of a game whose franchise is remakes all right reimaginings in this case yeah um it's like a chronological order it seems like to the games for all as vague as the story is mm -hmm. so, but I, I can't think of anything close to that with like the same with really the same gameplay uh with tweaks so like it's also interesting because there no other game is able to sort of refine and test and uh and fine-tune that that game over a couple of decades. That's like a good lesson for indie game devs is like, don't worry about getting it right just out of the gate. Remember that you've got time, especially if you're a young game dev, to iterate on your design, find your sweet spots, take some risk. With like, there are a lot of Pokemon designs that just haven't worked out and no one really remembers them. Except possibly for being odd, Delivery, I'm looking at you. Um, and yeah, try different things. Leave yourself room to innovate. Maybe take, if you've got like a 20 different enemy designs you want to try, consider doing just 10 for your first game and leaving yourself room to do it in a sequel. See, um, extra stuff expansions are very popular these days because it's really good for commercial publishers mm -hmm. and their bottom line. But as indie dev, hobby dev, you're not beholden to that same model. And if anything, it might actually be, I actually don't have an actual analysis on that. That's probably be economically good idea for hobby devs as well. I, I just have another, um, yeah. another similar model that's not the, um, the sort of remake or, or, or reimagining series, but it's a similar repeat of mechanics, um, chapter-based games or, or games Ooh, yeah. with a distribution release cycle. Um, so bending in the ink machine being um, the most prominent recent example, maybe, um, you know, where it may, in that, in that case, it is a, you know, each chapter was a different thing, but it's the same game, same gameplay. They were able to take feedback and um, um, response from the players uh, for each chapter that came out and use that to refine the next one. So it's a similar type of feedback loop that you get from the, the reimagined and remake cycle, but applied to the ongoing parts of a larger narrative or a single experience at the end. Yeah. And we can take a similar notes from Overwatch, where the cast of characters has increased. Some characters have been significantly reimagined as Metra. And 
they've had whole kinds of major changes, like the queuing system with the different role-based play. It's like it feels like a very different, like appreciably different game, significantly improved game since I first picked it up back close to launch. Yeah. Well, enough said that. Embarrassingly enough, I picked it back up in last week just because I've been itching for it. Curse you, Overwatch League. Yeah. Curse you, old episodes of this podcast I've been listening to, the same podcast you're listening to now. Well, um, <laughs> you know, th- th- that's part of a larger trend of the sort of infinite updates that a lot of people expect from some games now for for better and for mostly worse. Um, it's weird. It, it seems to be expected mostly from indie developers because of the prevalence of early release and early access games. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, so that's, that's less like um, yeah. always introducing more chapters or, or such and more about access to people getting into the game as you're iterating on it as the course of normal development and getting that feedback loop. Um, yeah, the same thing I wish I'd done with Anthrotari. I wish I'd released it chapter based, yeah. serialized it, and gotten a playable, buyable game out years ago, like numbers years ago, and then again in a few months, and then again. Mm-hmm. Do you think that would have? Because I don't know all of your process, but I'm curious. Are there times when you've gone back and changed things early on based on new things you've added? That if you're releasing it in a chapter based format because you couldn't do that you would keep focusing on just that next chapter uh because you wouldn't be able to make any further iterations on the ones you already released like would that have would that have hindered or helped or maybe both in different ways in this particular case knowing my particular brain bugs i think the net benefit would have been from early release and getting a playable game out there sooner such i would be locked into that and it would have been a creative constraint in that it would have guided decisions, made it easier to do stuff. This would have been before I even had the Patreon for the game if I had released it earlier in development when I was ready for Chapter 1. Mm-hmm. It would have complicated things later, but at the same time, it would have also pushed me to get it wrapped up and helped me prioritize other work and work around my brain bugs mess with my prioritization focus and whatnot. I think it would have been the better decision. I know I've seen it work well for folks like um, Heather Flowers and Meat Punks, which is a mm-hmm. released, she released it in a serialized format, multiple chapters, and then we released it. Not so much releases, just packaged it all together in the one game for after the thing was done, and then went on to do a chapter-based sequel, remember correctly. I have to double-check on that, but something similar. That's, and while that's, it did, that's my understanding as well. Yeah. Well, it did bring always trouble to have those previous lock-ins. One, I know one podcast I listen to often, I recommend uh, Story Studio Podcasts. I think that's it, notes. They used to do a lot of serialized fiction, and still do a little bit. And that's always has this up and downs because you always wish for something you gone back and added. But the most important thing that was really getting it out there, getting it done. It makes sense to do some planning ahead, ideally have some ending in mind, even if it's not fully developed. Mm-hmm. And to put the yourself some room early on for things that can be developed into ideas later on. So consider tossing in extra NPCs, 
extra little hints and character background stuff that you can maturate and develop into what looks like foreshadowing early on. It was actually just uh, creative interpretations later on. Hmm, that, yeah, a lot. That, that seems a little deceptive almost, but I'm not, I mean, not to, to knock it, just uh, it's a little tricky, a little of a sneaky way of um, planning ahead by virtue of giving yourself a lot of options so that you can just retroactively do so. So don't do like what they did with Lost TV show where they did, or Battlestar Galactica where they didn't have a plan because, and you see how that messed up the ending for both shows is they simply did not plan far enough ahead. Mm-hmm. Actually, it happens a lot with serialized TV, especially in the US. Will they complete a season, do well, and sometimes be expected to then do another season they hadn't planned for? So there are many series that just carried on for one or two seasons longer than they really should have because they hadn't planned for it. Yeah, or they do plan on multiple seasons, but there's always a problem that they just don't know how many. And they have to work that as they go. So either they go over or they try to squeeze it in under. Either way, it's very rare to have the arc planned out ahead of time. And so one reason why it's as a hobby dev, indie dev, you should take advantage of the control you have over your release schedule. And because you decided when you stopped doing it and let that guide you. If it means that you stop right when you want to stop, and even if there's people clamoring for more, make that judgment call because they might really appreciate having a more cohesive story in your next new tale than having the other one dragged on too long. I think it's a great saying for creators, like always leave your audience wanting more. Don't leave them unsatisfied, but leave them wanting more. I guess that's actually one thing where learning improv comes into mind. I know one thing I've learned from doing a lot of tabletop role-playing games is that going back to setting stuff up for later, some of the best satisfaction comes from the payoff. You don't necessarily know. Even as a game master, you can't know what's going to happen next. As a player, you can't necessarily know what's going to happen next because it's improvised and multiple people are contributing in real time or turn-based in some cases. And you can do some stuff to plan. You can do some stuff to set stuff up, like plant some seeds for later. But ultimately, you have to figure it out, play-by-play, what ultimately happens, where the callbacks come from, et cetera, et cetera. I do remember one of my most satisfying sessions. I think it was a totally spontaneous game of Fate Accelerated. I didn't know I would be running until five minutes before it happened was entirely made up and lots of I just made pull down details, solicited ideas from the players and developed I, I didn't know even realize figure out I, the, the person in charge, didn't figure out who the villain was on like the last forty five minutes of the game of a play session. And it was still amazing because I had set up enough potential uh, villains on the way that it could be a pleasant surprise down the road. Yeah, I I can't think of any uh, parallels in, in my own body. I don't think I do that at all or much at all, not in, that, that I can even think of one example. And maybe that's something I'm, I could really imagine how having those seeds to grow later. 
um, would help you get through things like Fighter's Block or um, just kind of act as inspiration already built in. Yeah. And since I don't have that, because um, I don't think that's something I do at all, um, that I don't know why I would never have thought of that or uh, why I wouldn't put things in because they're individually just something I like. Um, I think I always want to do things and have it all planned out ahead of time. Like if I put something in, it feels like I have to have it all planned out to, you know, what the full arc of that thing is supposed to be, even if it's going to change. But then that also means I don't put something in if I don't have ahead of time some idea of where it's all going to go. And I guess that's not a good idea. I should try, um, I should try that seeding um, method and see how that might change some of the iteration I do. After all, the audience expects payoff from the hints you drop early on, but they don't necessarily require you to pay off every single detail. You can put down, say, 10 hints, 10 things that could be interpreted as relevant, mm -hmm. and pay off five to eight of them, even just maybe three of them if they're really good payoffs, and everyone will forget the details or only remember them as like red herrings and still be very satisfied with what happens in the end. I think we get this uh, maybe false impression from looking at media after it's completed. Um, mm -hmm. We get this false idea of how planned it is ahead of time. Um, some things are planned more and some things are planned less, but once it's done and you're looking back, it certainly looks a lot more planned than it necessarily was at the time. And then uh, if you're trying to learn from that to create your own things, you get this impression that that's that you should have that all planned out because it appears that that's what other people are doing. But it's like the old saying, don't compare your raw footage to other people's holiday reels. Hmm. Yeah. It's a case of some cinema, literally. But a great example is uh, the Christmas Carol. You might've heard of it. Kind of a big deal. Uh, Charles Dickens, kind of an important writer. That was also realized. He didn't have all the stuff in mind when he wrote it. There have been a lot of works of fiction, especially classic fiction, that if you look back at history, you'll find that were serialized and written over time, not all in one, not published all at once. Mm -hmm. hmm. I, I didn't know that. I yeah, didn't... only remember, yeah. Huh. It's like, I didn't know it until years after reading Christmas Carol, but it was, been, it was initially serialized. Maybe same thing for a lot of other books. It just, and it's like so much TV we watched that could not have been planned beforehand because they didn't know that they either didn't know or had been told it was going to be another season. Uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, we did. It's been on uh, what's third network now, or about to be. Yeah. And there's no way they knew they'd go this far, but still managed to make it work because they've planted so many, they, they've developed so many interesting characters with rich enough lives, either on on camera or in the background that they can develop interesting scenarios, interactions out of those set pieces and those characters squished together. You can definitely run out no matter how many seeds you plan. You can run out if you stretch that too far. Look at the mm -hmm. supernatural. Just get it yeah. over with. Yeah. But I guess uh, getting back to Dame Dev and I guess Pokemon, remember they only had that 151 to start. They didn't get to... 800 something now until over 20 plus 30 plus years later 
And that's plenty. That's a long time in which to develop so many characters. If you scale that down to one tenth of that for only one tenth of that for any give hobby dev scale, that's only what 15 characters types to begin with, and what 80 character types. Yeah. 30 that's years a, later. That's an interesting. That way seems to look like. At it. Um, yeah. It's been, what, hundreds of people have worked in Pokemon at this point? Yeah. Um, So we're at about 25 minutes. We should probably uh, do some of our recording question prompt things, you know, uh, the last week and so, um, and and try to aim for a decent time. So I wanted to shift gears to that. I guess, like, parting word is just, remember, dear audience member, to pace yourself. You're just one person, maybe with a couple other people helping you, and... Just pace yourself. You don't have to do a whole new full Pokemon game all on your own. Pace is everything. Smaller is better. Yeah, we'll leave some time. And yeah, let's go talk about what we've been up to, what we have coming up next. All right. Um, since I uh, push us into this next step, I, I, I will go first <laughs> and talk about what I've been um, working on. I've made a lot of progress over the last week, actually. Um, so I can clap. Thank you, thank you. Um, and a lot of things are, are the, like small pieces that add up to some good stuff. Um, little things like um, my archer's arrows now, like you, you have to pull the bow back a little longer to get a longer shot. And if you don't pull it back for long enough, like if you just try to do a quick shot, it'll just sort of drop off after a few feet. Unzo style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that feels really good because it, it makes that um, that ranged attack a little more cost like you know a little more strategic uh which i wanted um and i worked on some larger things like i have a lot of this is a sort of doom-esque style 3d and so it's all billboard sprites for the objects within the the scenes um but i still wanted this couple things where i wanted to be able to walk around something um, so I've implemented a four-way billboard so that depending Ooh. on the, it changes the billboard sprite as you walk around an object um, so that gives me a little flexibility to both have this old school um, billboard 3D style, but then still have some objects with, you know, size, size and, and depth and dimension to them, uh, without trying to shoehorn models in. Actually, a good example of the scope management I'm talking about this episode, sticking to your 2D billboard sprites is much more manageable resource-wise media production-wise than trying to do full-on 3D models. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it did mean that I had to redo my fountain. The water fountain was the the object I was doing this with, and so it did mean I had to uh, redraw that same animation of the of the, the fountain from four angles instead of one. Uh, uh, so, But still, still less than if I had made a whole new model thing and then tried to fit that in and tried to get it to work in the aesthetic. And that's, that's what mm. really, I could put some basic models in, but getting that to fit the aesthetic I'm going for without it seeming out of place with everything else is, is very difficult. Um, so this works well. And this will also be something I can um, then add to some enemies so that as they're moving around, um, they'll need to face in different ways. That's not something I had been able to do before. They were only facing you. So um, this will be something I can reuse in a lot of uh, aspects. So I'm looking forward Excellent. to that. Um, yeah, so it's been going it's been going well. I got a lot of, a lot of time through the week and on the weekend, um, it's been one of my most uh, consistently paced weeks of development for a while. 
So I'm hoping I can keep that going. Very good. I was glad to hear about steady progress. Nice. Yeah. So for me, it's been also steady work, hitting those daily goals, whether it's recording developer notes or most recently actually sketching out some audio on my pocket operators and sending the sketches to my music person to do the actual recordings. So, so fingers crossed that I've got some new music in the next, uh, I want to say a couple weeks, three weeks before GDC because everyone is going to disappear. Everyone tangentially related to game development is going to basically be offline for that time. Except me because I'm going to be still here in New York. Yeah. Um, not better. Was, have, yeah. Not at yeah. all. Um, <laughs> do, you have, do you have all the, the new songs that you needed uh, ready to send over or most of them or you know, just more to finish up? In this case, it was I want it was about eight different sketches, so just very short, just several loops, a few loops each with variations, like some happyish songs, some saddish songs, things for the actual musician to use as inspiration for the actual songs, which will be longer, more developed, and designed to fit in with the rest of the existing songs. So yeah, so I know I'm not. Still the music yet, and but just competent enough to describe it in with musical ideas versus trying to use my words, which would just confuse everybody involved. Right. Uh, so, what do you hope to work on over the next week? I've already started doing more animations. The new character has slightly added a lot of animations for her, which I can do more usefully now that I've got her character art. It's already been uploaded, added to the game. That's going well. It's actually one of my favorite parts on Anthemtari is adding the animations. It's and a, that's just moving the character feedback, sprites around. Visual feedback uh, that you're adding in is a really uh, satisfying uh, you know, reward loop that you can create for yourself. Um, yeah. It always, always feels good to add things you can see. But you get to see them like, bouncing around and being all happy or being like adorably mopey. Like, hey, oh, uh, she's sad. I, oh, I feel bad. Oh, she's happy again. Yay! Like that, a little that, back and forth. I hope that goes well. I'm, I'm hoping to get some artwork done myself over the next week. Um, I've put off this tavern scene for way too long, which is like the opening, how you start your adventure um, thing. And I, I just keep working in the the water temple, where I already have all the, the sprites and tiles, and you can just keep working on features. Um, so I, I'm really hoping I can buckle down and get this new scene built out um with the the tavern where you get your whole quest started off so um have to ask i hope that i can talk about that next week yeah to ask are your war temple is it going to be as notorious as a you legend did, of zelda war you, temple you did not forget to ask you've asked me that at least three times already okay i think you're correct uh, but no, it's nothing like that <laughs> at all which is exactly why i need to rename it because that um that analogy will be inescapable for, for many players. So it, it will certainly oh, yeah. be renamed the, the Serpent Temple. I have to rename better. it in my head so that I stop saying Water Temple. Is the Serpent Temple a reference to Python? <sighs> no, it's not. I can't, I can't <laughs> escape some kind of false connection, can I? No matter what I do. Well, actually, funny trivia for anyone listening. Python, the programming language, is not 
named after the snake. It's named after Monty Python, the UK uh, mm-hmm. comedy group, famous for well, Monty Python. Yep, that's why the uh, Brian, all that. The original version of the Python uh, package service, uh, PyPI, was originally called the Cheese Shop. It was even at cheeseshop.python.org. Um, yes. Named after one of the Monty Python sketches. There used to be a lot more. It's interesting how the this is totally off topic. It's interesting how the <laughs> um, the sort of symbolism of Python has fully shifted to snakes. Uh, yeah. There used to be a lot of Monty Python themed um, puns in project and package names because it was well known and clearly identified that that is what it's based on. But once it got that snake logo. It all changed the snakes from there, and and it's yeah. gone back. Um, except for my yeah, own, could... except for my own, one of the um, you know, I have my, my mm-hmm. Python project feet, the Python runner, and I also named it that because of the foot in the Monty Python logo. In the opening to my Python uh, flying circus. Yeah. It's kind of like how someone has part on some gym names for Ruby. They parked on Amethyst gym name, Garnet, and Steven's names for Ruby package gems. Where they got that from, but... Of course they did. Okay, so I guess um, to go back on topic, uh, we've been doing media-wise. I'll start first. I'm still playing Mist Over. That's been fun. I only had very few character deaths since last time. That was nice. I lost my poor little Reaper just now. It's like, oh, don't fear the Reaper because he's dead. Music pun. But it's still fun. I think I'm getting, I think I'm in the last quarter of the game. So hopefully wrapping that up soon. Uh, let's see. I haven't been playing any Pokemon, but tonight I am clamoring to get them all my Pokemon games in the Pokemon bank so they can be uploaded to Pokemon Home so they can then be transferred to Pokemon Sword or Shield. Huh. Complicated. But yeah, it's good because I have not traditionally transferred my Pokemon to new games. But I tend to focus on just playing them from scratch and join the well. building team. But yeah, this is like, it's not going to be viable to do that later on, so now or never, so I'm going to do it. Thanks. Like, I haven't had, I don't know what happened to my copy of Pokemon, I think Blue, way back when, so I can't, uh, obviously I can get Pokemon from that. Uh, I see. And I can't remember, definitely did not have Ruby or World. Uh, actually, Crystal, or whichever one, I might might have gotten that, I have no idea where those king copies are, so who knows. Yeah, we have a topic. Yeah, this is yeah, we're recording this on Sunday, January February twenty-third. So we're coming right up on the deadline. So I'm gonna cut us off soon because we're running out of time. It's 9 51 ah, PM, not AM. And we're a little bit loopy because it's also late. But that's ooh, the media wise. Oh yeah, I mentioned uh, I've been poking my toe back in Overwatch a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Overwatch League came up in the radar. I've been listening to archives of this podcast, and which Overwatch keeps coming up. I never really got a chance to try out Sigma before I dropped the game. So, just a little bit in that. And I think that is um, it for me. Yeah, I've, I've been um, you know, still playing Overwatch myself because I never stopped, really. Uh, except for that little break I took a few months back. Um, but it's been going well. I've been 
I was I meant to quit that team I was on uh, because it started to get stressful. But then when I tried to quit, it suddenly stopped being stressful. They just uh, kept inviting me to practices, and it just I had no more stress about it because you know it's now it's whatever. Nobody cared, so I don't feel pressure. Um, I've also been playing finally uh, Bending the Ink Machine. I've been streaming it on Twitch, um, but then I hit apparently a known bug um, and level with the projector. Uh, the print or the projectionist um, if you save when you have some but not all of the ink hearts then when you load it a bug can be triggered where the game thinks you have all of them but you don't and because it thinks you have all of them you can't collect anymore so you can never trigger the next step in the in the um, actual story so oh, no. you're stuck and there is no way to fix it i have to start over that gives me a sad. Yeah. 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 Big sad. I have a big side now. Why'd you have to do that? Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It reminds me in PsyOps. I rented, I bought a rented that game ages ago, years and years ago. And I got one of the early buggy copies such that you literally could not beat one of the bosses. Mm, yeah. That sucks. Yep. Well, that's also, you know, well, I should go back and, like, find a Let's Play or something, see what I actually missed. This this happened to me that's, long, uh, something like this happened to me a long time ago. A friend of mine and, and me were addicted to this game called uh, Project Eden. We tried to play, we bought it three times over about a decade trying to beat it, um, because the game, we were in love with it, but it was very buggy. Um, and one of the times whenever we hit a bug, um, it was a more of a design issue, we it's, you play simultaneously as four characters that you can switch between and you use all their abilities to get through. And we actually got one of them stuck under an elevator in one of the levels in the bottom of the elevator shaft. Oh, jeez. This is like a nightmare scenario. And and auto-saved with that character stuck in the bottom of the elevator about halfway through the game. And we had to throw our game save out and start over from the finish. And I still... Yeah, I still... And bitter about this to this day, twenty years later. It should be. That was poor design. And actually, one reason why we can talk. I that could be all good episode context is bugs and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had to quit sort of ditto because it was so buggy, and I lost progress because of that. I mean, I'm having issues with Mistover crashing periodically, but the autosave is much less onerous and often enough that I hasn't really been an issue. But even then, I was like, I'm surprised these games on the Switch are crashing like this. I'm missing worry about my Switch. Hope it's not a hardware issue. If we talk about bugs, it would be interesting to include the phenomenon of um, gameplay coming from bugs. Phenomenon. Because sometimes bugs um, end up being fun in game dev. It's one of the well, well. Um, expressed enjoyments of game development is hilarious or just fantastic bugs that you would never expect or that look fantastic whether it's a rendering bug or a gameplay thing that makes something ridiculous happen um and sometimes just ah this is fun and sometimes it's hey that actually kind of fun maybe i can make that a feature instead of a bug i feel like there are some things things in cases that started off as bugs and turned into features Oh, cause oh, that would be a great little review. That might be a topic all by itself. Not, not this episode, yeah. That's so, um, bugs and two bugs words that become features are maybe two different episodes. So, 
I guess a little quick spoiler for that episode. Uh, two words: nuclear Gandhi. Yes, yes, that might be a that is definitely a classic example. But in the meantime, uh, we're good for tonight. So, hope you all enjoy listening, dear podcast audience. Uh, we'll see you next time. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the SideQuest Completed Podcast. If you aren't subscribed, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also find all our episodes and our RSS feed at SideQuestCompleted.com. Subscribe today and don't miss an episode posted every Wednesday. Keep game devving and we'll see you next week.